Welcome to Behavioral Health in the New Normal, a podcast developed by Prestige Community Resources, aimed at bringing healing back to our community through knowledge, expert advice, and positive messaging. The show is a joint venture between the Department of Behavioral Health and Prestige Community Resources, funded by SAMHSA in response to the challenges currently impacting our communities. Hosted by Paul Wells Sr., who uses over 30 years of extensive clinical social work experience to conduct insightful interviews with experts and professionals on a wide range of topics that impact the Washington, D.C. community. From behavioral health crisis to education to financial hardship and anything in between, this show will provide information and insights that will surely make a difference in your life. Prestige family, I am so excited to introduce you to Tony Swaggerty of Swaggerty Realty Group. And he's going to talk to us about the housing business uh, specific to the pandemic. Uh, Brother Tony, also fondly known as Tony T or T Swag, is going to introduce us to... Uh, what the experience has been most recently related to the pandemic. Uh, Tony has over 30 years of experience working in this field, uh, over 10 years as a mortgage broker and, uh, and over seven years selling new homes. And so I think he clearly would be deemed an expert uh, with and deserves the respect accordingly. Uh, and so Tony, welcome to the show. And, I just want to remind everyone, this is a collaboration between Prestige, SAMHSA, and the Department of Behavioral Health here in Washington, D.C. So, Tony Swag, we're glad to have you. How are you, sir? I'm good yourself, Brother Paul. I'm glad to be here this morning to participate, okay. yes. Yes, we, we, we hope to get some information out to the mass uh, about what they can expect if they are uh, looking for real estate and looking for purchase. But before we go to the nuts and bolts, well, Brother Tony, can you just tell us about who you are personally, where you grew up, how you grew up, and how you um, got into the real estate business? Hey, that's a very good question, Paul. Uh, let me tell you a little bit about my background. I was born in Tennessee, as a matter of fact, and uh, as a kid, when I was 12 years old, my parents, we migrated to St. Louis, Missouri, which I'll never forget. That was culture shock for me moving from Tennessee to Missouri. <laughs> Yeah, anyway, uh, and then from there, I went to California. So I spent many, many years in California, years in Nevada. So I've been, you know, you could say from the south to the west coast. Mm -hmm. So uh, uh, I've been in real estate for 30 plus years. And what happened was uh, I got into real estate uh, when I lived in California, by the way. And uh, it was just on a whim because I was working at a job that was actually going to close down. And and uh, so I was actually going to I was actually going to seek a new career. And they said, well, I'll try real estate. And uh, once I tried it, I fell in love with it. And here I am 30 plus years later, lots of gray hair, but still doing the business. Yeah. And still obviously passionate and committed to the work. What oh, no was question. it about your early interest that kind of drew you in? What, what was kind of glaring and stood out that said, well, maybe I want to try this? Well, you home. know what it was, Paul? I'll tell you what it was. It was actually my first home buying experience that attracted me to the business. I mean, when I sat down, my wife and I sat down with the sales agent, and then later, you know, after sitting with the sales agent, we met with the, uh, the lender. Mm -hmm. And uh, once they walked us through the process, you know, um, I said, well, this is something I actually could do one day if I choose to do so, and not, not knowing that I would ever do it at that time. Yeah. And then so, so be it a couple of years later after we purchased the home and my, my current job was going to go away, then I said, well, let me give this real estate a try. And so that's kind of how it evolved. And as I mentioned, that's been quite a few years ago. I appreciate uh, that experience. I know for first time home buyers, the experience can be somewhat overwhelming and daunting. Yeah. And if you don't have a roadmap and anyone who preceded you, who can guide you and counsel you on the steps, uh, you really do need a coach, a good agent yes. uh, to help you navigate all of the uh, unexpected barriers that are inherent in the process. Uh, and so we'll talk about, I'm sure that you have some counseling um, skill as well, because you give guidance and direction, I'm sure, to new home buyers. But you mentioned your wife, you're married, huh? Yes, I'm actually married to my second wife right now. Okay. I've been married to her for going on 10 years. Uh, mm -hmm. My first wife, I was married to for 27 plus years. Oh. And, you know, she unfortunately, I don't wanna say unfortunately, but it was her time, she went to paradise. Oh, One day as we were taking a nap together. 
And so that was the biggest shock of my life to this day. But since then, I've been blessed, handpicked, and haven't sent another wife. Okay. Okay. I appreciate your, you sharing that. And um, we we talk a lot on these segments about grief and loss and, and the associated trauma. And I imagine uh, having such a remarkable, unexpected loss as you did had a tremendous impact on your view, on your perception, on your emotions. Yes. Uh, and so maybe if you give me an opportunity, we can come back to that and just talk about how you were able to still maintain your professional identity while grieving yes. uh, such a, a remarkable loss. Um, and so we'll, we'll come back to that if you would allow me to sure. And so what kind of training uh, or work experience was required to make you the most proficient as a real estate broker, agent? Well, you talk about training, you know, where, where you start as a real estate agent, you actually go to school, you know, you test, you get a license, but where you learn the business is actually doing the business. Mm. You know, you, you have to team up with someone that's actually going to teach you the nuts and bolts of the business in terms of how to write contracts, uh, negotiate transactions, and uh, just teaching you all aspects of the business. So that's where you really learn is in the trenches, should I say. Mm -hmm. you know, not in a school, not in a classroom, but actually doing the business. Absolutely. And what point did you recognize with boldness that you had enough expertise, skill, and knowledge to, um, you know, really claim the profession, but to move on and even open up your own company. When, well, when you know, like I'm saying, you know, I can do this. <laughs> yes. Yeah, well, you know what, I recognized that kind of early on, but I, I chose not to go off on my own. I just wanted to work with other companies and see how things were done. So after, you know, gathering all that knowledge throughout the years, I decided then it was time for me to go out on my own and do my own thing and put my own group together. So, so I think with anybody can do that, you know, we're just, after you gain some experience, if that's your desire, you know, and uh, so anyway, that's kind of how that evolved, should I say, uh, yeah, just no. uh, experiencing this, taking the leap to go out there and do it. Absolutely. I know when I first began to practice as a psychotherapist, it took me a considerable amount of time to even consider myself and use the title psychotherapist. But once I realized that I had the competence and the skill set, uh, I then operated in that uh, and affirmed it for myself. And I stayed true to it for 30 years. And in spite of all of the clinical experiences I've had, I still learn something every day. Same here. Bob. Every day. Is that the same true for you? Absolutely. No question. Our, yeah. our, our, our industry is constantly evolving and changing. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's very important that we keep, keep up with what's going on. Yes. And uh, from when I started, you know, technology has virtually taken over our business at this point. I mean, you know, if you're, if you're not tech savvy, it's going to be a little bit tough for you nowadays. Yeah. Or should I say now I have teammates on the side of me that are very tech savvy. That's right. That's right. And matter of fact, I'm sure you, that's one of the things you assess when you bring new members onto your team, how proficient they are with technology. At least I do. With yes. Yeah. You know, about. About a year ago, uh, I wasn't providing any telehealth therapy. Mm. Didn't know about Zoom, right? Yes. And so moving to a telehealth platform as a therapist required some, there was a learning curve there. And not just how, the adjustment I had to make to the telehealth platform, but just my basic uh, expectations and awareness of how we apply the craft, right? Yes. On the screen, person's not in the chair next to you, right? And, yes. and I'm sure that you're learning and discovering that you have to make those accommodations as new technology uh, becomes available. Yes. Tell me absolutely. about, you have children? You have any children? Yes. Yeah. Uh, we actually, I'm actually, uh, it's a blended family. Uh, uh, I have uh, one biological son myself who is actually yes, now 40 years old. Can't believe that. Oh boy. <laughs> that kid is almost <laughs> as old as me. <laughs> yeah. Cause you're only 41. So I don't know how that happened. You got it. I don't know how that happened. <laughs> Yes. yes. Okay. That's a blessing. Anyway. Yes. And then there, there's a host of, uh, of stepchildren in the family. You know, for my first wife, there were three boys. And then uh, my second wife has two children, which are all grown up now. Oh, yeah. And, you sure. know, along the way, there's there's grandkids in the family and the whole bit. So it's one big happy family, should I say. Okay. Yeah. What a blessing. One big uh, happy family. In the family. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, anyone in the family interested or showing some interest in going into real estate business? 
Yeah, as a matter of fact, uh, uh, my stepson, Mark, just joined me in the business uh, last uh, September, uh, uh, got licensed during the pandemic. And uh, Mark's background, he's been uh, in health and fitness for many, many years. Mm. And he says, hey, I'm going to give this thing a, a try, Pops. And, and he joined with me. And he's been doing fantastic. I'm so proud of him. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Uh, do you think he will... Uh take over the company at some point? Oh, yeah, no like question. See, see the leadership? Yeah, I'm, I am actually grooming him for that right now. Yeah, yeah. Um, proud is probably an understated description of how you must feel. Yeah, I have yeah. two sons, and I, I definitely would hope that one of them goes into clinical practice and can take yes. over the company. But uh, that says something about you and what he saw in you, um, I'm sure, highlighted and um, influenced his... Um, interest his motivation to pursue you so i congratulate you on leadership as a father well thank you Paul. and modeling behavior so let's, let's 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 talk about this so you know i mentioned that before the pandemic clients were coming in to see me in my office we we're doing individual therapy group therapy psychological assessments the, the full arsenal of clinical work the pandemic hit and i had to shut the clinic down Yes. Shut the doors. Yes. And the entire clinical team now had to work from home office or remotely. Uh, and the infrastructure, our workflows, everything had to adjust to this new reality. Yes. And it took time to make those transitions. It was some moments where you, I didn't have uh, as much faith as I wanted to about how we were going to survive this. So can you describe pre-pandemic uh, uh, your work under that scope and, and what, what changed when you uh, realized the pandemic had a hold of us? Yes, yeah, let me, let me touch on that a bit, Paul. And uh, similar to what happened to you, we uh, actually, uh, before the pandemic, I mean, we were a bustling office, you know, with um, people flowing in and out every day. And then, of course, you know, once we were shut down, Mm -hmm. We actually uh, closed the office to the public, obviously. Mm -hmm. And then that's when, you know, the, the, the remote process started working. And, and what happened, uh, just so you guys would know, during the first couple of months of the pandemic, uh, we actually lost a lot of business. Yep. Uh, people were just uh, canceling transactions and just, just pulling away from the table because uh -huh. of the uncertainty and such. And so, and then as you... As you mentioned, you know, we began to work from our homes, et cetera, and, and, and started to use a Zoom platform. So it was just one big, huge change that took place. And it was almost sudden in a way. Absolutely. You know, had to take place. So anyway, I mean, I, I can go further with that, but that's mm -hmm. pretty much what happened in that sense is that, yeah, we had to shut down yeah. and uh, start to work remotely. Yeah. And uh, um, yeah, so the suddenness of it, is what um, created and continues to create a lot of anxiety, not just for business owners, but just to the general population, the suddenness of it. How we all had to abruptly accommodate this pandemic and change our behaviors uh, from school teachers to mothers, to parents, to students, to therapists, to, to business owners like yourself. And that's why initially uh, our services decreased when the pandemic first hit, but now they've tripled in terms of the request for services because of financial uh, ruin for some folks and, and just the uncertainty of what's next and, and how do I plan in the future. So many of the consumers coming in for services now are coming in with mood disorders like depression or anxiety disorders. We see a lot of anxiety disorders. Um, and as a business owner, probably like, like myself, that first round, that first wave, you, you might have had some anxiety, but uh-oh, the revenue yeah. is going down. I got to lay off some staff. I got to oh, shut yeah. this door. Yeah. How, how did, where did you find your support to get through that initial term or, or, or phase of the pandemic? <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, actually, it was, uh, it was my staff and the people I work around. Hmm. We were all in support of each other during that time, yeah. during that initial phase, should I say. And, um, uh, Really, uh, yeah, I would just want to say it's my the, the, the staff and the people that I work around. We just really support each other because we didn't know what was going to happen, how the market was going to turn, what was going to transpire. 
uh, you know, in, 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 the, in the months to follow. And so anyway, we just band together and stay together. We stayed on Zoom calls, having our meetings, et cetera. And, um, and as we saw, what happened is uh, a couple of months after the pandemic hit, most oddly, things started to pick up. And I noticed things started to pick up, not only in our market, but uh, actually across the country, things started to pick up uh, for those that couldn't uh, make purchases, et cetera, and do refinances. So, and so to this day, as you mentioned, you know, uh, the pandemic hit, things went down for the worst initially, and now things are really, I want to say they're back to normal, but in many parts of the country, the real estate market is actually very, very hot. <laughs> Okay. Okay. Yeah, people are coming back, and, and even though job losses are, uh, have taken a toll, but for those that can purchase, it, it's creating a buying frenzy in many parts of the country right now. Yeah, yeah. Becoming um, a seller's market, should I say, in many parts of the country. I wanted to before I go on to talk about the housing market and what it looks like now. I wanted to just uh, highlight something you mentioned about your team and the value. Uh, they bring in the teaming support that they offered. Uh, I think I would imagine some of that speaks to your leadership and how you've been delivered about uh, selecting the right staff on the front end, uh, but facilitating some kind of internal process to make sure they're healthy and whole and motivated and committed to the, the cause. I feel your energy. I know it's telehealth. I told you I'm a therapist. So normally yes, you did. And I can feel it, but somehow you convey a relaxed style and posture uh, that maybe is conducive to this teaming you described and the teaming. So tell me, are you, you and you probably maybe you don't directly supervise staff now, but what is your leadership style in your company? How would you describe that? You know, I'm, I'm just a hands-on individual, should I say? You know, I'm always I always make myself available for my. For my, for my staff and, and my team members, you know, when they have questions. So, you know, uh, I think, uh, you know, what's important is that, yeah, is, that I'm just, I'm, I'm basically, I'm there when they yeah. need me, you know, okay. question-wise or whatever it may be. Yes. Something personal, I, I, I like to lend a hand, and I'm there to lend a hand as well. So, and they know me for that, that yeah. they can always count on me for that. Okay. I'm the one guy that they can reach out to 24-7, no matter what the situation comes. There's a certain amount of trust owed upon you. And, and so a, a valuable commodity when you're a business owner that your staff have some trust in, in you and confidence in you. So again, I wanted to highlight those, those strengths you have because of your personality structure, but also just your management. Listen to this, my 20-year-old son, you know, he's taking some remote classes at college. He's working a job, fine young man. And I uh, had a discussion with him. I, my thinking was, you know what? Why don't you stack your money while you're here? We'll stay here a couple of years. Because instead of moving from here to an apartment, I would sure love to see you move from here to some ownership, whether it's a condo or a home, your first home. Um, I'm not sure if I want to see you in all throughout your 20s renting uh, why don't we jump right into home ownership? So let's yeah. start. Let's, can you tell us about the advantages of, or the disadvantages of renting uh, as compared to trying to purchase property early on in life? Hey, that's a good question, Paul. I, I think, uh, you know, if we can steer our younger people into purchasing early on, it, it's going to be great for them because renting, as we know, I like to say that's the money that you just flush down that you know what, the toilet. <laughs> that's right. You know, so to, to teach our younger people early on about home ownership, I think it's critically important because uh, I think it's a critical component of just life itself within our country is mm -hmm. becoming a homeowner. You know, that's, as we like to say, that's the American dream mm -hmm. is home ownership. So I'm all an advocate of teaching our younger people to acquire home ownership early on in life. I remember I bought my first home in my 20s, my early mm -hmm. 20s. I like to count my first wife for that because she said we need to buy a home. Okay. I wasn't thinking that much about it, but she says, and I wasn't in this business. Right. And she says, Tony, we need to buy a house. We're renting an apartment. And I just oh. said, okay. And, you know, back in those days, you know, quite honestly now, you know, we're all scored with the low interest rates we have nowadays. Mm -hmm. But uh, I'm going to date myself a little bit because back in those days, we, we certainly had high, high double-digit interest. And, and so, but anyway, that didn't preclude us from purchasing a home. We just want to know what the monthly payment was going to be. Right. We wasn't concerned about the interest rate. 
Right. But anyway, I think that's, yeah, that's really critically important that we teach our younger people to, to jump in and teach them about home ownership and why they should be homeowners versus renters. Number one is, hey, they're going to start to be, begin to build an equity base, you know, so that they can one day maybe either, either keep that home for uh, investment purposes or either sell it, cash in on the equity, and purchase another home. So, you know, there's just no better way than home ownership, should I say. Yeah. And I'm all an advocate, as I said, of teaching our younger people about that and getting them involved and getting them. Because also the other thing is, you know, when it comes to that, younger people I mean, in many parts of the country, there are down payment assistance programs that can help them with the down payment. And I encourage them to, you know, reach out to, to the local realtors and lenders in, in reference to that, because that's one way of getting into home, home ownership is, is if you can qualify for a down payment assistance program that can actually give you the money for the down payment. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Um, so education is very important for the new home seeker, right? Yes. Many of us uh, haven't had the advantages of this information trickling down from a generational perspective. You know, grandparents told my parents, parents sat me down and gave me instruction. Uh, for some generations, the first awareness and learning opportunity begins with them. And you got to get plugged in with the right group, the right professional to give you accurate, uh, timely uh, uh, information. So I want to come back to that a little more. Yes. How, how do you find the right group to work with? Um, but renting um, versus home ownership. Um, what are the advantages of renting? Are there any advantages of, of renting that you can speak to? <laughs> Only if you have to. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Yeah. You know, I mean, I mean, that's the only way I see it, Paul. I mean, I mean, uh, we do everything we can to teach the younger people to acquire home ownership, you know, um, and to steer away from renting. You know, yes, of course, in the beginning, yes, perhaps you, you're going to have to, maybe you have to rent a home. This is you getting started out in life. But after that, you know, and you get settled in and, and, uh, yeah, you, you must seek home ownership. I think it's critical early on, as early as possible. Oh, what are some of the challenges that a new homeowner would uh, face that they wouldn't if it was a non-pandemic uh, season? Uh, so what's unique about the application process, visiting the homes? Uh, what's, what can a new homeowner expect now that would be different from maybe two years ago? Well, number one, as I, as I mentioned, in many parts of the country, because of, uh, because of the influx of uh, people buying right now, we are actually right now experiencing uh, multiple offer markets. In other mm -hmm. words, uh, it's becoming a bit more difficult to actually acquire a home because many markets are just so hot that people are lining up down the street to, to look at these homes and to, to bid on them. So. But I don't think that's, you know, that's not going to last forever. So that want to get into the market and can do it now, I'm just encouraging them to do so. But be prepared because, as I mentioned, in many parts of the country, in many markets, the market is just so hot that mm -hmm. we're experiencing multiple offers. So, but don't let that be a discouragement. Get in where you can fit in and get with your local realtor, your local lenders, get yourselves pre-qualified and uh, just get in. Yeah, yeah. We'll talk more about pre-qualification. Pre How has the covert um, changed the way you sell houses? Um, can you speak to that? Yes, absolutely. Very good question. Uh, actually, nowadays, because uh, in, in most cases, you know, uh, to actually be able to show a home, uh, there's there's requirements uh, throughout the country where you can only have so many people in the home at a time, you know, because of the COVID restrictions. So in other words, uh, when a person goes, when an agent goes out to view a home, it's usually the agent and, and two others. In other words, a total of three people that can go into the home. And what we do with our listings, we have everybody go in and put booties on and of course the house is disinfected after the person goes in and looks. I see. And we ask them not to touch certain, not to touch any personal items in the home, you know, if it's an occupied home, obviously. And so all those different protocols are in place nowadays. And those are probably going to stay in place for quite some time because we all know Hey, we're still mass mandated in many parts of the country. And, uh, you know, unfortunately, you know, 
this uh, pandemic has not gone away. This virus has not gone away, despite you know the vaccines coming on and everything else. It's still quite active. Absolutely, so we still take those precautions in terms of you know protecting homeowners, protecting uh, our clients, you know, and uh, so that's what we're doing essentially. It's just um, sharing with them what they need to do in terms of when we go out and view a home, be prepared. Uh, this is the process nowadays, and we just have to follow through with that. Have you had any staff or clients who resisted uh, following the protocols? Uh, just refuse to mask up or? Well, most ironically, yes, <laughs> I have. I mean, uh, uh, one of my one of my colleagues called one day and said that uh, the client, they went to go see a house and the client told her that he could not wear a mask <laughs> because of his health, because of health reasons. And he didn't have a shield either. So it became a conflict with them actually going into the house. Of course, you know, he went ahead, he, he, he went ahead eventually and, and did put a mask on because we keep masks on us when we go out and show property, just in case somebody shows up and doesn't have one. But yeah, but for the most part, people follow protocol. But that one instance, yeah, we did have a gentleman that actually was refusing as to, to put a mask on. And if you committed to that refusal, how would it, how would your team responded? Would you have denied him access to the- Yeah, we would have had to because it, yeah. is, it, it is actually you know, protocol that we do that and we could be fine had we had we if we go into a property that uh without everybody being masked up and taking those protocols so yes it's, it's very important we would not have been able to show that gentleman at home yeah i want to hear about some innovative changes specifically that you had to implement to accommodate the uh, pandemic and your business for example with prestige very i think this is the most innovative innovative thing i've I've uh, discovered in the behavioral health field. You recognize that the consumers, uh, many consumers couldn't transition into a telehealth format because they don't even have a phone. Mm. Definitely many of them don't have a computer or just don't have the technical awareness to, to relate that way. But for those who didn't have a phone, Prestige was able to secure a grant where we supplied a cell phone for folks so they could maintain contact with us and and we could provide the therapy met some services nursing all through that technology it's been especially helpful for those consumers of course who are homeless who that might be their only connection when you're on the street you can't and and not not just to use the phone for our our service but in case there's an emergency to stay connected with friends to negotiate some of the the systems that they need to um, apply for and so, you know, that's, mental health clinics don't give out cell phones to clients as a problem. Yes, I've heard that protocol. <laughs> you know, after the assessment done, we determine, hey, here, have a phone so we can engage with you by the service. So what are some of the things you've done uh, to accommodate uh, the ship? Is there anything specific that you can speak to? Zoom. <laughs> Zoom. <laughs> Zoom, yes. I've done more Zoom in the last, and over the last year than I've ever done in my entire life. Yes, yes, sir. And, you know, and, because we're, we're, we're talking with clients that are coming from different parts of the country. And uh, so Zoom has been a, a lifesaver for us connecting with people and just actually having that, we can have that, we're having that face-to-face -face contact, just like you and I are doing right now. Yeah, yeah. So I think that's been a, a, a major player in what we do. You know, we can't be face-to-face -face live. I mean, touching each other, actually, we, we can use this, this Zoom platform. Yeah, yeah. It's been... um video platform, should I say, or whatever, yes, and to connect with people. So that's been, a, that's been a game changer right there. I mean, we used it previously, but nothing to the extent of what we're doing nowadays. And uh, we're conducting all of our business almost as a telehealth Zoom platform. So we're going to pause right here. So it sounds like, uh, Brother Tony, that in the first wave of the pandemic, uh, Things kind of shut down, everything stalled, anxiety went up, revenue went down. Uh, but now one year later, even though we're still in the, um, even though we're still in this pandemic, uh, we're relating to it quite differently, more successful. Yes. And that's based on uh, the innovative things you've applied, the information and education we have now about the risks 
um, that are real still. Um, are you, did you ever question, did you ever question or think about, I need to shut this business down at any point? Oh, yes. Yes, no, no, no question about that. That, that. The thought came, as a matter of fact, I, I mentioned earlier on that we actually did close our office and we were oh, closed yeah. for several months to the public. Oh, wow. So we had to conduct our business, you know, via these Zoom calls and, and just meeting people, you know, at properties and such. So yeah, that became an integral part about what we were doing was just uh, uh, using this Zoom platform, as I mentioned, and uh, using our telephones and uh, working out of our home offices, basically. I mean, I still would go to the office here and there, but for the most part, you know, we were working out of our homes. Yeah, I, I can't imagine just having this contact with you. I can't even tolerate the thought uh, that must have come over you after practicing the, in this field for 30 years to say to yourself or question yourself and your team, hey, can we sustain this? I don't know about you. I don't know. There's nothing else I can do. If, if, if I don't do therapy and assessments and clinical work, what else is there to do? <laughs> yes. This is who I am. Yes. And so that must have been a very depressive kind of uh, oh, no deliberation. Question. Yeah, no question. The first couple of months, it was really tough on us because, as I mentioned, many people were uncertain about their futures, and uh, we had we had, oh my goodness, the cancellations were just overwhelming with people uh, not following through with the transactions because of what had taken place, and so yeah, it was an overwhelming situation that we had to just buckle down and handle it, and and it was a wait and see situation, should I say yeah. as well? Yeah. Just have to wait and see what's going to happen, and then most ironically. As I mentioned, a couple months after it, things start to turn around for us. Yeah. Um, I'm sure you're grateful to your family and to your team and to the God of your understanding that you were able yeah. to weather the storm. Yes. Because it sounds like you're much better for it as a result. That you've learned some new principles, incorporated some new understandings and skills that, that you can still transfer even when we're out of this pandemic. Yes, absolutely. No question, Paul. Because I still see there will be still a need for telemedicine, even when the clinic opens up again, a hundred percent. Yeah, I remember some... I had my teledoc appointments all during the pandemic. It sure makes it sure convenient, right? Yes. And I'll tell you this thing, the compliance rates or attendance rates have increased tremendously because of the flexibility telemedicine offers. And so we'll probably do some percentage of telehealth service even when the clinic door is open. Um, so we, we need to master the technology and become more, even more proficient. Listen, has the COVID-19 made it more difficult to close on houses? What's, what's your thought on that? No, it actually hasn't made it any more difficult to close on a home, should I say, because once we're in, once we have the escrow process going and we're moving toward closing, you know, it, it just takes its natural, goes into its natural process in terms of moving toward closing. So. I don't want to say it's made it any more difficult in closing, but uh, as I, I just go back to the very beginning when it all hit and you know, all the uncertainty and all the cancellations that we succumbed and just come to, that, that was a difficult period. But uh, as far as actually closing, yeah, everything's okay in that, in that aspect. Okay. I don't know what type of professional relationship you have with your clients and how extended those relationships but I imagine you sold some homes pre-pandemic, maybe a couple of months before the pandemic. Mm -hmm. Then we go into a pandemic and some of these very families now suffer some financial duress. Absolutely. And right out the gate, they had this beautiful home and they, they were comfortable with the terms and how you counseled them to, to uh, get to the contract point. And then three months in, they can't pay their mortgage. Absolutely. And you know, boy, very good question. Not to cut you off, but that's a very good question because we had several clients that purchased early on and they lost their jobs. I got those calls. I got a few of those calls, quite a few of those calls actually in panic mode, you know, and, and so, you know, my, my answer to that was just, just hold on because they, uh, we just got to see how things are going to work out. They couldn't make their mortgage payment. And so, uh, when they got the, the uh, information, uh, when the forbearances started to come into play, uh, 
the, the folks that I had talked or we had spoken to that were in that situation, they all filed for forbearance. And to this day, uh, most of them that I know of, they're, they're in a forbearance situation. Mm. So, uh, and then some of them have been able to regain employment and some have not. So, and, and, and that's, this is what's going to happen. You know, this is the part that really concerns me because unfortunately there's going to be a number of people that will not be able to pull out of a forbearance situation and they ultimately will end up losing their home down the road. And that saddens me because if they couldn't gain employment back and they can't make the mortgage payment, that process is only going to last for so long. And then uh, they're going to have to either come up with the money to make that mortgage, get back on track and making those mortgage payments or they're going to lose their home. Yeah, And that's an unfortunate thing but Due to no fault of their own. Due to no fault of their own. All pandemic related. Good people, uh, skilled people, people who plan, deliberate people who at no, uh, not due to their own flaw or mistaken judgment, um, might lose their home. Now, can you tell me a little bit about this forbearance? What does that, what does that look like when you're eligible and receive a forbearance? What does that mean? Well, actually, what that means is that uh, you're going to negotiate. What I want to say, negotiate. The lender is going to offer you an opportunity to take those payments that you have not been able to make, mm. and usually they, they'll put those payments on the back of, of the mortgage. In other words, they could add that to the mortgage itself, or they could work out a payment plan where you can pay extra money towards your mortgage. So, so they're going to give you some options. In most cases, they're going to give you those options, and it's just a matter of you being able to follow through what's on the table with those terms mm -hmm. but as i mentioned you know some will be able to and some won't be able to so that's yeah. and, and because of the connection and the relationships you have with your clients you interface with real lives real experiences yeah. uh, and, and the direct impact that this pandemic has had on families individuals uh similar to, to mental health we hear firsthand the despair and the devastation and the anxiety and all that that is the residual of this pandemic and, and the harm it's caused us emotionally financially situationally um but I, i'm glad to hear that they still call you for counsel and that you still yeah. make yourself available after the sale oh yes no question yeah. No more obligations after that, right? After once the sale is done. No, we really don't. But I've always been one of that that care to make myself available to my clients. My clients have actually many of them become my friends. Yeah, sure, sure. The same thing with my colleagues and you know, my teammates. You know, once we get involved in that process, uh, you know, we seek to make our clients our friends because uh, you know it creates a referral base for us as well. Right. You, know? right. you have refer. You have uh, repeat. Clients, you have clients that have purchased homes through you multiple times, multiple times, and also clients that uh, you know they refer us out to to other clients. I imagine you have clients who, as they reach a certain maturity, they send their children to you. Have you had that? Oh, well, that's happened too. Yes, yeah. <laughs> yes. Isn't that a, a delightful? Experience? That's happening right now. As a matter of fact. Wow. Such a delightful experience when you work with the the parents and have, have had that long term relationship. To have an opportunity now to serve their children. Yeah, and see oh. the children grow up and now <laughs> the children are becoming homeowners. Exactly, exactly. You know, you called me on, uh, on a call from my youngest son. He was at the car dealer getting a car fixed. And um, my same service uh, uh, agent, I worked with him now maybe 15 years straight. Oh, wow. And he was just so tickled uh, when my son drove himself to get his car, you know, serviced. Yeah, how about that? Because he saw your kid when he was five years old. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So, um, but I would not have sent my son to anyone else, but someone who I trust and who I'm familiar yes. with. And yes. so with me having the confidence in my service agent, I gave him the name and said, absolutely see him. Yes, he's the one. <laughs> he's the one, he's the one. Um, let me ask you, how do your clients rate you? Is there kind of some rating system, some business rating system where people can go in and give you a value? or uh, What's your rating look like? I look for five stars, man. 
<laughs> I know that's right. Okay. I'm looking for five stars. Anything less than five stars, I don't want it. Yeah, you're disappointed. You know, because that's our, that's our focus and goals. We've been over backwards to help our people. And we make it clear up front, you know, if there's really any questions, do not ever hesitate to ask us. You know, yes. if you're unhappy with anything that's going on with the process, please let us know right away. Mm -hmm. Because don't hold anything back from us. Yeah, we're your best ally in this process. So, so that's what I, so we like to make that clear, and I, I stress that to my to my to my teammates as well. You know, make that clear with your clients that you're always available, you're upfront, and don't hold anything back from you. Because as you know, people sometimes they just won't tell you what's really going on in their mind. Yeah, and so they'll hold things back, and and that's not the way we want it to be. No, no, you want the transparency. You want the transparency. Honesty. Yes, it's a yeah. critical component of our business. Yeah. Um, have you had any complaints specific to the pandemic process? So, uh, some, you know, and you talked earlier about you have to wear a mask and put on booties when you visit the homes. Has there been any other aspect of the process where the client says, do we really have to do it this way? Is there anything you can think of? Oh, well, yeah, you know, well, early on, we're seeing less of that nowadays, but early on, people were questioning, you know, just the whole process of how we were going to show the home. Mm. As I mentioned, the one gentleman that refused to put the mask on, but as we, you know, my teammates, myself, even when I go out and show property, people would, they would just question it, man, we got to put these masks on, we got to put these booties on, mm -hmm. we got to sanitize our hands, we got to wash our hands. So yeah, that's, that was, uh, that was just a part of it, should I say. Uh, and people just getting used to that process. And, and, and you, me, myself, personally, you know, and you probably as well, Paul, we're washing our hands more than ever now. Oh my goodness. I think we got, I think we got one of the cleanest worlds out there right now. Absolutely. Oh no, we're uh, we're so in touch in in the medical field that yeah, I'm I'm probably washing my hands three times an hour. I mean, it really is that, and you know, washing the doorknobs and when the clinic was open, wiping down the chairs, and then we had a team coming in spraying the COVID nineteen spray, and uh, there's not, you know regulating how many clients could be in the waiting room at any given time, and oh boy, things have really. Uh, Changed, uh, but it's also given us a renewed appreciation for things that we took for granted. Yes, things in our Those process that we thought we didn't need, we actually do need. Yes, uh, and so it it's allowed us to reevaluate ourselves personally, but also reevaluate ourselves professionally. No. Um, so for every uh, bad thing, you can expect something good. If you take time to deliberate and, and, and ponder and uh, reconcile some of the things you've discovered. Listen to this. Are, are there any uh, programs available for new home buyers who are trying to make a move during the pandemic? Any special programs specific to, you know, the pandemic era? Well, I, I want to say there's any. I don't want to say there's some anything actually new specific to the pandemic. But I'm telling those folks across the country to plug in with your realtor if you, particularly if you are, uh, are going to be a first-time home buyer uh, or what have you, and seek those down payment assistance programs. Yeah. Because in many cases, people are not aware of those, and they those can be used. And as I as I mentioned, in many markets, those are available to people. Yeah. So yeah, so I'm encouraging you know. Those uh, first-time home buyers, or you don't have to necessarily be a first-time home buyer. You could own a home, and, and as long as you don't in the past not own a home now, you can still possibly qualify for those programs. Yeah, so sorry. that's that's one way of, uh, of really just helping folks and, and, and making them aware that that opportunity is available for them. Just as I mentioned, I had a client yesterday, just to give you an example, and uh, they were concerned. I, I told them the basically the market they're in right now, about being a seller's market. You know, that they won't be able to probably get an offer accepted by asking the seller for closing costs. And they explained to me that their, their funds would be exhausted if they had to pay all of the closing costs. So I'm sending them to a lender that does down payment assistance. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Because uh, by them being a, a, a VA buyer, they don't have to actually put any money down. If you're a veteran, you don't have to put any money down. It's the greatest wow. program in the world, by the way, for those veterans out there. Yeah. They can buy a home with no money down, but still there's a closing cost factor involved there. 
-hmm. And in many cases, they can seek down payment assistance that's available to them within their communities, and that could cover the closing costs for them. Mm -hmm. They're actually moving to a home for no money. Wow. Out of pocket. Yeah. Some of these programs, it's federal programs, but there are also some local jurisdictional Some local state programs. Okay. Okay. Um, Do you teach... uh, or does your company provide education classes for first-time home buyers? Yes, as a matter of fact, yeah. Actually, it's not my company, but actually what happens is most of the down payment assistance programs, mm-hmm. it's a requirement that the participants participate in, in, in the educational process, the home buying process itself. Okay. So that's pretty much the way that works. If they get involved in, 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 a, in a DPA program, down payment assistance program, uh, I would probably say 90% of the time, most of those programs are going to require an educational process uh, that they'll have to go through uh, to be able to acquire um, the funds needed to participate in that program. So, yes. Uh, we're getting to the end, so I want to draw back to some earlier content that I, I probably need to ask. What's a good uh, credit score to have on home buyer? Where do you need to be with your credit score? Can you tell me what's the range that makes me the um, the best candidate for a good loan with the low interest rate? Well, that's a very good question, Paul. You know what? A, a good credit score, uh, in my mind, uh, you can actually buy a home with a 620 credit score. Mm-hmm. And depending on the lender, uh, they may be even go lower than that with the credit score. Mm-hmm. Uh, but just generically speaking, I'd say, you know, be prepared to have at least a 620 FICO score to be able to qualify for a federal housing authority loan, which is an FHA loan, or a Veterans Administration loan, which is a VA loan for a veteran. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you're going for conventional financing, then I would probably say maybe uh, 640, 660, 660 and above. Okay. You know, you could qualify for as little as 3.5% down, 3% down, 5% down type loans. Because in many markets, you know, um, FHA, depending upon where you are, and your lender there can tell you, you know, what the maximum loan amount is. And and then you'll know then if you can go in and qualify for that type of financing with as little as a three and a half percent down payment. Yeah, yeah. And so it just depends, you know, uh, the market you're in. But I would say, generically speaking, be prepared to have at least a 620 credit score, okay. which is not very high, by the way, okay. you know, to be able to qualify for mortgage financing. And what they're going to look for is they're going to take all three credit scores and they're going to go with the middle credit score. Hmm. And that would be your highest credit score. Okay. 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 Uh, and the credit score range is the highest is an 850, I think. What's the highest yes. score you get? And the lowest number would be what? Oh, my goodness. Zero. <laughs> I guess zero. Maybe a 350. I don't know. Okay. All right. Uh, so we want to be around 650 and above to really qualify. Yeah, I'll say 620 and above. 620, 620 and above. Okay. Listen, I want to close, uh, if you would uh, allow me, with kind of something you shared intimately and very personally in the beginning. Um, Midway in our discussion, you talked about how suddenly this pandemic hit us. Sudden, sudden. Yes. You weren't prepared for it. No. We didn't expect it. It shouldn't no. have happened. No. Why now? And for business owners, some of us have has finally got some good momentum, right? We got some good process. Yes. Good achievement. Why now do I have to kind of revert to some early experiences with developing my business, the struggle? Um, the suddenness um, required some attention. Now, you shared with us that uh, uh, with sadness uh, and grief, you lost your wife suddenly, yes. unexpectedly. Yes. And you had to find a way somehow to. Uh, reconcile that, understand that, and uh, get back to some new normal. Yes. If you would kindly, what did you apply from your loss of your first wife into the suddenness of the urgent pandemic in terms of moving on, pressing forward, not getting stuck in despair and fear. Is there anything you transferred to this more more recent loss? 
Yeah, as a matter of fact, there is, you know, and that was my faith. <laughs> Come on, let's talk about it. Your faith. Yeah, that was my faith, actually, because I, I, I never get the most dramatic day of my life. My, my take on that, you know, my, the loss of my first wife is, you know, the next 15 minutes of this life is not guaranteed. No, sir. No, sir. No. You know, because I, I saw someone actually transition in 15 minutes after we were laying down and taking that nap that day. So in translating that to what is taking place with the pandemic, which was also pretty much a sudden thing, mm -hmm. we knew it was coming, we had a little bit of warning, but once things shut down, you know, I just basically relied on my faith and I go, hey, listen, Lord, you know what's needed. Everything's in your hands, you're in control. And, and so that's where I went with that. And you know what? A similar thing happened to me after I actually prayed on that. Yeah. A similar thing happened, and that is a calmness that came over me. And, and basically, the message I got out of that, you know what? You just relax, remain calm, I've got this. And, and that's what came over to me after uh, the day that my first wife passed and, and I'm looking at her there and she's there deceased and yes. it's like a spirit spoke to me and go, hey, Tony, yeah. I got her. You can move on with the rest of your journey. And that's pretty much the way I took the pandemic, you know? Very similar is that I just gave it to him and I hey, moved on and just wait for the results. And here we are today. So, yeah, there's uh, definitely, I understand and appreciate perspective and how you used your faith to overcome probably the most challenging thing you might ever face in life. Yes. The death of a spouse. Because I definitely want to go before this next wife. I want to be the one to go first. Yeah. No, I understand. And I appreciate that too. You know, in the recovery rooms and in closing in the recovery rooms, we focus on the biopsychosocial components in recovery. We look at people's medical health, their, their emotional health, and their spiritual health. And then some therapists kind of stay away from the spiritual stuff in the clinical practice. But one thing I know for sure, that those people who have a good, strong spiritual foundation and a strong and confident faith perspective do much better in recovery. Outcomes are tremendously and remarkably better. And you know that because this is what you do. Exactly. But what we know is that that has to be in place before the tragedy, before the loss, before the yes. recovery effort. That, that foundation has to be there because as I tell folks, especially my A and NA folks, you might be walking down the street and have an urge to use and every technique, strategy, and coping mechanism that you've been taught in this program is not available to you. The only thing that you can use to overcome this tempting moment is a prayer. <laughs> yes, indeed. And uh, if you haven't dialed up, if you haven't used that, if you haven't used that in a while, that may not even be available when you need it. So uh, I'm so glad you talked about faith and spirituality and how you've used that not only in your loss, uh, but also in your uh, adversities during this business season. Um, yes. Man, this has been powerful. I, I've, I've benefited from it, Brother Tony. Uh, but so have I. Yeah. And we would possibly like so to have, have you on again, maybe under a different different heading. I can think of about three topics we can go <laughs> again. But uh, Brother T Tony Swaggerty of Swaggerty Realty Group, can you tell us where people can reach you? How can people find you they can find me at tonyswaggerty.com <laughs> okay tonyswaggerty.com um listen to this how many before it close how many clients do you have in your practice right now clients yes how many clients does your practice uh have active right now that we're servicing right now yes sir uh let's see our brokers right now are servicing i believe number wise about 25 clients right now that's a yeah. that's a lot yeah. that's yeah. a lot of business activity yeah. Yeah. How does that compare to the pre-pandemic? Has that been kind of your baseline number or? Yeah, we're actually back to where we are, where we're at before pre-pandemic. And uh, yeah. those numbers have really picked up and, and over the past few months. And uh, as I mentioned, uh, yeah, things are actually moving right now. Okay, listen, we have five minutes. Uh, I'm getting some cues from my executive producer there, Ms. Travers. Listen. Give some hope. Give for someone who believes this pandemic has shut them down and 
they don't need to plan and prepare for the future, that they, this isn't a season to plant some seeds and to move forward with the dreams, you know, one dream being home ownership. What would you, what could you say to them to motivate them? Is there any words of encouragement you can share to a new home buyer? Absolutely. Just take, pull up your bootstraps. In other words, should I say, put your helmet on. Yeah. <laughs> get off the bench and get in the game. Off your bench and get in the game. Yes. Yeah. I mean, there's no, you know, if, if you have job stability, uh, I, I say now is no better time, you know, than, than to seek home ownership. Go for it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Simple as that. Just go for it. Right. So that's why we have to encourage our young adults and our Oh, no question. We must. We have to prepare them so that they have a meaningful income and profession uh, that supports home ownership. Absolutely. Right? Because there's some steps that have to precede application. You have to be um, approved. Um, yes. You have to qualify. Yeah, to qualify. So we want to get our young folks committed and focused on applying themselves so that when it's time to apply for these uh, rights and privileges in life, right? you're prepared. You're prepared. Yes. Um, Brother Tony, obviously you've prepared yourself over 30 years to do tremendous work. The value you bring is not just helping people get through the process, but the connection and the relational piece. Uh, that has even probably more value because that's long-standing. What I'm hearing you say is your clients maintain the relationship with you even after they signed and moved yes. into the home. Um, so everyone, I encourage you, reach out to Brother Tony. Yeah, you heard his contact information. I want you to reach out to him, ask questions. Uh, of course, he's always accepting new clients. Um, and uh, he's convinced me that uh, you can trust him to care for your housing needs. Now, it, now, behavioral health folks, we know for certain that stable housing is uh, what we call one of these stability factors. It's hard to have your mind right if you don't have stable housing. That is correct. If I don't have a place to live, I can't talk about too much of other things because I'm just surviving now. Um, looking for my next, next, next destination to lay my head down. And so we have to understand the value and the pride that goes into home ownership, and it's yours. It can't be taken away. That's right. The landlord can't evict you and, or move you out and close the facility or rehab yes. it. Great points. Oh, great points. Ability factor. And so we encourage everyone in the audience, if you don't have a plan, if you're not currently a homeowner, consult with someone, a mortgage broker or a real estate agent, to start talking about and thinking through the process so yeah. you can get there. The good news is you can do it. You can do it. There's some steps, uh, but there's no reason why everyone who's watching this and their offspring uh, cannot become at some point a home. All right, Tony, we appreciate you, man. Much love. Thank you for having me, Paul. Thank you for your time. Uh, and now you're definitely a part of the Prestige family forever. Thank you, my friend. Thank you. Okay. And for the audience, if you want to learn more about Prestige and what we do, you can contact us at prestigecommunityresources.com. And on the website, you'll see some other podcasts. We This is probably podcast number 30-something. And uh, .org, that is, Prestige Community Services. Org. I'm sorry. And you'll find on the website all kinds of services to food, food services, to clinical services, to housing services. Prestige now has some, some housing, uh, short-term housing units for men and for women. And you know, that's saying from the District of Columbia, trying to find reasonable housing is, is a real challenge. So we invite you to look at Prestige, consult with us, let us be your treatment provider of choice. And until next time, be well, be safe. See you in the next podcast. Peace See you in the next one.
This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.